Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You, we praise You, we worship You, Lord. You're such an awesome God. And we're so blessed to be called Your sons and daughters. And it has nothing to do with our good works or our faithfulness, Lord, but it's Your righteousness, it's Your holiness, and it's Your grace. And Father, I just pray that this morning we would learn from the example of Elizabeth and the example of Zacharias, Lord. And I thank You, Lord, just the picture of Your grace as we see a man who began with faithlessness and doubt and unbelief and in the end was a man of mighty faith and a man who praised You and a man who was not ashamed of You. And Father, I pray for each one of us, if we're in the position now where we're not serving You the way that we should, if we're living in a place of unbelief, that Father, You would increase each one of our faith. So Lord, we love You. We pray again that You would be our teacher this morning. We know that without You we can do nothing. We're desperate for You, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen talked about it each week. Why are there four Gospels? I'm not going to take as much time as I have, but just so you know that the reason that there are four Gospels is that God, in His infinite wisdom, gave us four different eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. Each Gospel was written with a different focus uh, group in mind. The book of Matthew was written to the Jews, and those of you who were here when we went through the book of Matthew, we saw a heavy emphasis on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We talked about all the Old Testament prophecy that He fulfilled. In the book of Mark that we just finished up a few weeks ago, it's written mainly to the Romans and it pictures Jesus Christ as the servant of God. That if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to learn to be the servant of all. When we're done with Luke, we'll go into the book of John. The book of John is, is the, probably the most frequently read book in the Bible. And it's the gospel pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is indeed God. And if you're here this morning and you don't know that, Jesus Christ is God. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, and there is no other God before Him or beside Him. Amen? He's it. And then lastly, in the book of Luke, we, we see that Jesus Christ in this book written to the Gentiles is the perfect Son of Man. It emphasizes the fact that it's humanity. And that's why we see such a clear and in-depth look at, at His genealogy, at His birth, and things like that. Now, in the last two weeks, we saw two totally different examples in the way people responded to the Word of God being, being spoken to them. Gabriel, the archangel, showed up, and the first one we saw him minister to two weeks ago, and again, if you weren't here, the tapes are back there, help yourself, but he spoke to a man by the name of Zacharias. We're going to look a little more at Zacharias this morning. But Zacharias was a man who doubted. Now, he was one of the high priests in Israel. And the lot fell to him that for the one and only time in his life, he was going to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies and burn incense unto God. This was in a, a picture of prayer and a picture of worship. And when he went into this most holy place, this most awesome moment of his entire life, it got even more awesome than he thought. Because an angel showed up, right? And you know what? I, I don't know about you guys, but no angels have showed up in my house lately, at least not that I'm aware of. The Bible does say we entertain angels unaware. But an angel shows up and it says he was afraid, and I think I ought to be afraid too. But then the angel spoke to him and told him that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son, and that the son's name was to be John, and that he would turn the, the father's hearts back to the sons, and he would turn the wicked back to God, and he would cause people to seek after the wisdom of the Lord. And this is something that he should have said, wow. And instead, he said, how? How is that possible? That, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. How can this be? You know, my wife is old. She couldn't possibly have a child. And it's amazing to me because he was an Old Testament, he was a priest who knew the Old Testament, and obviously that happened to Abraham and Sarah. But he doubted God. And because of his doubt and unbelief, he was struck deaf and dumb. We're going to see some more about that this morning. Now, that same angel goes and appears to a teenage woman and gives her much more improbable news seemingly impossible news. He, he shows up and he speaks to Mary, 
who was a teenage girl at the time, who was unmarried, who was a virgin. He says to her, you are going to give birth to a son. And his name shall be called Emmanuel. He will be son of the Most High. He is going to be the Son of God. You will be given a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she initially is blown away and says, how can this be since I've not known a man? But when the angel tells her that, that God is going to ordain it and God is going to implant this baby in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, she says, let it be as you say. And we see that Zechariah responded with faithlessness and then he became deaf and dumb, which made him totally ineffective for the kingdom of God. And then we see Mary respond with faithfulness and God used her mightily. Amen? We also talked about the fact, just make it real clear, that Mary was just a woman. Mary is not, you know, the second, the fourth part of the Trinity. All right? Mary was not without sin. Mary was a woman blessed and used mightily by God, but she was just that, a woman. And it's awesome to me to see how God used her mightily and how God can use us mightily today. And so we go through all that, and then we see, we saw her last week go and visit her uh, cousin Elizabeth, who was, was then pregnant with John. And we, the Bible says that when she entered the room, the room, that the womb of Elizabeth leapt for joy, the baby within her. John the Baptist leapt for joy at the presence of Jesus Christ in the womb of his mother. And then we saw at the end it finished with what, what is called Mary's Magnificent, which basically means she cries out and talks about how magnificent God is. And you know what? When you're being used mightily by God and when the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you can't help but be excited about the things of God and praise His name. Amen? It's scary to me that most Christians walk around and we got this undercover Christianity and we're ashamed. You know, we should be more excited about Jesus than anything else. Amen? You know, we get excited about the Niners, but they're not playing anymore and they're not playing either, but the Lord is still Lord. Amen? He's still God. He's still faithful. He's still in control. And it's great to see that praise. And now we're going to see a picture of grace this morning. As we're going to see Zacharias, the deaf and dumb guy who started off with unbelief, the guy who started out with, with faithlessness, the one who didn't believe what was improbable, we're going to see God in His grace bring restoration in him. And I love it. So let's begin. And we're, the two things we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist. And then we're going to see Zacharias as he prophesies about the ministry of his sons. So we're going to pick up this morning in verse 57, where we left off last week. So let's begin there. It says, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. It's interesting to me that when God's messenger showed up and, and gave the prophecy of what was going to happen, the response again came from Zacharias. And the angel said to him, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife is going to give birth to a son. And he didn't believe. But I love the fact that in spite of his unbelief, that God's will was still done. You know, he prayed. He had been praying. This guy was a priest. And he had been praying that God would bless him with a son. And he had been praying for many, 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 many years. I also believe that he had probably at this point stopped praying. But now the answer to prayer comes and he's blown away. Now, it's amazing. We, we, I fall into that trap. I don't know if you've ever done that before. You pray for something that God answers, and you're like, whoa. You know? I mean, we're surprised when God does what we pray and ask Him to do. We looked at this on, on uh, Friday morning when Mike was teaching us that Peter was in prison. And we know it says that all the people of the church gathered together in the house, and they were all praying and asking that God would release Peter from prison. And so while they're praying, all of a sudden, you know, knock on the door, and they go, Rhoda goes out there, opens the door, and it's Peter. And she runs in and goes, Peter's here! And they go, you must be mad. You're seeing an angel or something. You're crazy. Wait a minute, what have you been praying for? Well, God released Peter, God released Peter, God... He's here. Oh, I don't believe you. 
You know, that, what kind of faith is that? And sometimes we pray because, well, we feel like we should, but then we're blown away when God answers prayer. Well, that's exactly what has happened with Zacharias. He is praying and seeking God, but at the same time, when the, when the answer comes, he doesn't believe it. He doubts it. He doesn't think God can do it. It says here, in Elizabeth's full time, God's promises will come in the fullness of His perfect time according to His perfect will. Though the baby was put in her womb by a miracle, he still was, came in the fullness of time at the end of the nine months. You know, sometimes when we pray, you know, we pray, Lord, give me patience right now, right? I mean, we, we pray and ask God, and we want, God, we want stuff now. You know, Lord, I want a wife. Lord, I want a husband. Lord, I need a new job. Lord, we want children. Whatever it might be, and then we want God to hurry up and answer. Because we think we know better than God. And you know what? We need to learn to trust that God's timing is perfect. If you wait upon the Lord, you will never be disappointed. Amen? I know some of you that waited a long time to meet your wife, and, you're, and man, you're glad you waited. I know some of you that waited a long time to have children, and man, you're so blessed to have them. And some of you that waited in so many different aspects of your life, and just know that God's timing is perfect, and He's in control, and He loves you, and He cares. He knows what's best for us. Verse 58. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Here we see the fulfillment of Luke 1.14. It said that many will rejoice at His birth. And sure enough, when John the Baptist was born, all the family and all the friends gathered around and they showed up at the house and they rejoiced with Elizabeth and with Zacharias that the child had been born. And notice here that it says the word mercy, that the the reproach of barrenness. In those days, if you didn't have a child, that was considered a curse from God even. You must have done something wrong because you have not had a child. And it was they're saying, praise God that He's shown mercy upon you. They recognized the birth as being something that originated with God. God had removed the barrenness from her, an old woman beyond her age, and yet here she is giving birth to a son. But you know what? Not only was she giving birth to a son, but there had been a promise made about this son. And this son was going to be great in the sight of the Lord. And you know what? The Bible says, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. And there's nothing I love more than to see my kids in love with Almighty God. You know, I love to go and just, when you guys are worshiping, sometimes I'll walk over into the nursery, and I just love to see the kids in the nursery. I love to see the kids in the nursery holding hands and praying. I love that, and that blesses me. You know, the Bible says, again, I know no greater joy. I love to see kids worshiping God. I love to see kids sharing their faith with others. I love the fact that my 13-year-old daughter out of 20 different electives chose apologetics. I like that. That blesses me to see my kids hungry. And you know what? Can you imagine that she'd been praying all these years for a child, and now not only was she going to have a son, but he was going to be great in the kingdom of God. He was going to be the the first prophet in over 400 years. And God was going to use him mightily to turn people back to God. How much joy do you think there would be in the heart of Elizabeth? How excited would she be? And it's always, again, worth the wait for God's highest rather than to force the issue in the flesh. Remember, Abraham forced the issue. Remember, God had told him, you're going to have a a son. And all all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you, Abraham. And Abraham went back, and a few years went by, and he's like, man, I'm I'm 100 years old. You know, I've got to be getting busy about having this kid. I mean, what's up? You know, God promised. And you know what? Sarah comes and says, well, maybe you're supposed to sleep with Hagar, the maidservant. Maybe that's... Okay, and he goes and that's weak. And he goes and he sleeps. He goes and he sleeps with a maidservant, and they have a son, and his name is Ishmael. Now, I don't know if you know who the descendants of Ishmael are. And do you know that the real, the chosen son was Isaac? And they're still fighting. Amen. 
And why did that happen? Because Abraham didn't wait on God. Abraham said, oh, I know, but, oh, well, maybe that is the plan. His wife said, oh, man, you know, sleep with my maidservant. Oh, she's kind of young, okay. And so he went over and did that, and it was a totally out of God's will. We need to learn to be still, to trust God, instead of trying to make things happen. Now, it says they rejoiced with her. And you know what? As believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to take great pleasure and joy in the blessings of others. Amen? When, I, when we hear that someone else has been blessed, we ought to be excited. The world gets envious. As believers, we ought to rejoice. Amen? Somebody gets a ra- praise God. Somebody's, that's wonderful. Somebody's been blessed in their home, that's great. We should be excited for them. And that's the way the body of Christ should work. Now we're going to see the naming of the son. Let's take a look at verse 59. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. On the eighth day, in God's commandment, you see it in Genesis 17 and in Leviticus 12, it had become customary to name the child at his circumcision. So they would wait eight days. It was a covenant unto the Lord of saying, we're dedicating, and it's almost like a baby dedication would be today. We're dedicating our child unto God. And they would wait until then to name the child. Now the reason they did that was that when circumcision was instituted with Abraham, at his circumcision, God changed his name. His name went from Abram, to Abraham. And his name became father of many nations. And God gave him a name that meant what he was. And you know what? That's why you know, I name my kids after people in the Bible. All three of my boys are David, James, John, Matthew, and Mark Andrew. And the reason is that I, I love those people that are in God's Word. And I want my kids to have that as an example. I remember being a kid named David growing up whenever they talk about David and Goliath. Oh, really? You know, and I get me excited, you know. David, oh yeah, he slew Goliath. Yeah, I know all about him, right? And you know, I love having that and that godly heritage. And so they bring in um, the baby, John the Baptist. They bring in John, and they're going to name him. And the family gathers around. They say, we should name him Zacharias after his father. You know, it was a tradition those days to name the son after either the father or somebody in the family. So they bring the baby in to name him. And it brought together the same family and friends that had rejoiced together with him at the birth. And again, it's much like a baby dedication. I want to encourage you guys with something. Again, we don't see this in Scripture necessarily, but I believe it's a good thing to dedicate our children to the Lord when they're young. Amen? Now, I prayed for my kids when they were in their mother's womb, every single one of them. Last night when I got home from studying in the late hours, I went into each one of their rooms and laid hands on them and prayed for them. Because to me, I want my kids to love God above all else. I mean, I love you guys. I love you infinitely. I pray for you guys every single day, but I have to openly admit I love my kids more. Okay? I love you guys, but I love them more. And I just have such a burden to see them walk with God. And you know what? I wouldn't, I, it wouldn't be worth it to me to sacrifice my children on the altar of ministry. I want my kids to be blessed. I want my kids to grow up to love God. I want them to, to know Him better than I do. That's my greatest desire. And you know what? As a, a baby dedication is just standing before your family and your friends and letting everybody know that we are giving this child to God. It belongs to Him. And if you haven't had your baby dedicated, we can do it right here. And I want to tell you something really neat. My daughter Ashley was dedicated right on this very spot 13 and a half years ago when my dad was pastoring a church here. It's pretty awesome. And so we should dedicate our kids to the Lord. And so this is kind of like the baby dedication. The family and the friends, they come together and they, and they, to dedicate their child unto the Lord, to have them circumcised to perform this ritual. And some pro- spoke up and said, we need to name him after Zacharias to honor his father again something that would happen according to tradition. Now look at verse 60. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. Now nobody in their family at that time was named John. But obviously the word that Gabriel had spoken 
to Zacharias, even though he was now deaf and dumb, he had communicated with his wife over those nine months. You know, he struck deaf and dumb, then he goes home, and all of a sudden his wife's pregnant. The baby's growing within her womb. For nine months, he's watching this happen. And he's saying, you know what? I can't believe I didn't believe God. I can't believe I didn't listen. I didn't trust Him. He's still deaf. He's still dumb. But no doubt is communicating in a writing way with his wife. Here's what happened. Babe, here's what happened. Here's what happened. An angel showed up. And let me tell you about our son. Here's who he's going to be. Here's what kind of man he's going to be. Not only are we going to have a son, but he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. He's going to turn the hearts of people back to God. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Wow. And they told us his name shall be John. And what did I tell you John means? What does it mean? Who remembers? God is gracious. God is... There will be a test. God is gracious is his name. And so, what an awesome name. Can you imagine? God is gracious. Time to eat, right? I mean, that's... You know, time... Come on in. God is gracious. Time to come in the house and pick up your room. So his name is God is gracious. What a great name. I have a son named John. I like that. And Elizabeth had learned from her, from her husband... And she said, no, his name is going to be God is gracious. Because he would introduce the gospel of grace. Amen? You know, up until then, they had a law that pointed toward a coming Messiah. And they were trying to keep the law. And the law revealed to them they were sinners in need of a Savior. And now all of a sudden, the gospel of grace was going to come onto the scene. Grace, again, is God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Not my expense. Him paying the price that I cannot pay. And He was going to be the one that shared with people the gospel of grace. And so His name means God is gracious. What an awesome thing. He would be a holy man. And, and we know that He would be a man who would point to the coming Messiah, who would take away the sins of the world. Look at verse 61. But they said to her, there was no one among your relatives who was called by this name. The relatives objected to what she wanted to name her child. And you know what? They were saying, you know, if you're going to name him after somebody, if not Zacharias, then you need to name him after somebody in your family. And you know what I thought of? Often as parents, we will face opposition when we seek to raise our children in obedience to the Lord. We're going to have people come and tell us, and I've heard this many times, bro, why don't you just lighten up with your kids, man? Why do you have to be so, you know... They're having a dance at school, you won't let your daughter go. The answer is absolutely not. I don't want any little teenage guy putting his hand on my daughter. Ain't going to have none of that. And dating is not in the Bible anywhere, so my daughter ain't dating. It's courtship to marriage. You ain't getting married when you're 15. She's not dating. Now, see, you might say, lighten up to me. I don't care what you say. I know what God told me. Amen? And that's what happened here. God said, his name's going to be John. They're like, oh, no, you need a name of Zacharias. You know, that, that, oh, you need a name of somebody in your family. No, we're going to do what God says. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And I don't care if everybody else does it another way, we're going to do it God's way. Amen? My son's catching heat. He's supposed to be at baseball practice this morning. He gets drafted by, the team, by a team. Oh, we have practice Sunday mornings. Oh, my son's not going to be there. Well, oh, well, that's the time we were given. Well, I'm sorry. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And God comes way ahead of baseball on the list. Amen? Way ahead. Not even close, all right? So, sorry, he's not going to be it. And I have two sons on that team, so the coach is not real happy. But you know what? The reality is that the world is going to pressure us to compromise our faith. They're going to tell us to lighten up. Let our kids experience life. Let them go to dances. You know, let them have unsafe friends. So what if they want to listen to secular music? It's just the beat anyway. It doesn't matter how they dress. It doesn't matter what they watch on TV. It doesn't matter what kind of movies they watch. I'm telling you right now, that's all very important that we raise up our kids in the admonition of Jesus Christ. And we not bow to the pressures of the world, but we honor God with our children. Amen? 
And that's what's happening here. You need a name after... No, we're not going to. We're naming him John. Why? Because God said so. I like that. And Elizabeth's speaking up, too. I love that. She spoke up. No, his name's going to be John. And may we follow the example of Elizabeth and stand firm with what God directs us to do through His Word and the leading of His Holy Spirit. Verse 62. So they made signs to His Father, what He would have them called. And realistically, it was the Father that was supposed to name the child, but He had been struck deaf and dumb. And so they signal Him. Now, what do you want to call your son? You know, I don't know how, I don't, they didn't have sign language back then, so I don't know what they did. I don't know if they wrote it or what. But they looked at him and said, what do you want to name your son? And you know what this reminds me of? How many parents do we have in here? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever had your kid go, they go to mom and they ask for something, and mom says, no, you can't, oh, I'm going to go ask dad. You know what I mean? And that's what's happening here, right? What happens here is, they ask Elizabeth, no, his name's going to be John. Well, you don't have anybody in your family named John. I don't care, we're naming him John. Oh, all right, well, let's go ask Zacharias what he thinks. So they go to Zacharias and they signal him, what should we name him? What do you want him to be named? And we see an example here of how, as parents, we need to be united. We need to be together. And again, they, they ask him, what, what should his name be? And, and verse 63, And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, His name is John. Not his name should be John. Not his name will be John. Not I would like for his name to be John. His name is John. I like that. That's it. I don't care what all you guys... And no doubt he's sitting in the room. He's seeing all the grief his wife's catching. His name's John. That's his name. His name is God is gracious because he is going to be a man who points people to the Messiah. God had spoken to Zacharias to the angel Gabriel and his name was a done deal. It wasn't up for vote. God said it. That settles it. I used to have a license plate frame that says, it said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And you know what? That's the truth. If God says it, the opinions of men, you plus God is the majority. Amen? If you and God are on the same side and everybody else is on the other side, you're on the right side. Amen? We're in Santa Cruz County. We're going to be on that lighter side most of the time. Now, the unity and purpose for their child between Zacharias and Elizabeth blesses me that they both had the same heart, the same focus, the same desire. They knew who this, this baby was going to be. And they, right off the bat, made a decision. We are going to honor God with this child. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. And as godly parents, we should turn our lives and our homes over to God and we should be united in our homes. I want to encourage you with something as parents. Don't ever argue in front of your children or even have a disagreement. Don't let your kids think there's division between you and your wife when you're discussing something about your kids. Something as simple as whether or not they're going to spend the night at a friend's house. You go get away with your wife and you guys talk about it, you always be united in front of your children. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. The Holy Spirit is one who speaks directly through us and we should be united in our focus. And it says here, And they all marveled that the deaf and dumb Zacharias and this old barren woman Elizabeth had given birth to a mighty son and they were united in their focus and they were not going to bow to the pressures of, of men. They're all blown away and going, wow, something's different about these guys. Amen? And you know what? That's the way it should be. When we come in contact with a lost and dying world, it shouldn't be that we're holy and righteous or goody two-shoes or whatever. It should be that we're loving and gracious and caring, but that we're focused on the things of God. Amen? And we're not going to be turned to the right or to the left. Verse 20, or verse 64, excuse me. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke praising God. In fulfillment of Luke 1.20, when the angel spoke to him, when he didn't believe, he said, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. Unbelief and faithlessness had made him deaf and dumb. Belief 
and faithfulness and obedience had opened his mouth and loosened his tongue. And what did he do? Nine months of not being able to say one word and what are the first things that come out of his mouth? What does it say there? He praised God. Nine months of silence. Nine months of no words. Nine months of being still before God. And the first words that come out of his mouth is he's praising God. We can tell that God's done a work in Zacharias. Amen? He, the last words he had were doubt and unbelief, and nine months later, he's praising God. That's what happens in the life of someone who's been touched by the Lord. Here, I believe, also, we see a picture of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. What happened? It says that they began, as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, they began to speak in other tongues. And what did they speak? The wonderful works of God. I want to say this, too, just as a side note on tongues. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And you see a lot of churches today where you know, they ring a chime or something, everybody gets up and starts ripping away in tongues, right? You know, the Bible even says if you do that, if you gather together in the church and everybody starts speaking in tongues, everybody there will think you're crazy. The people will go, what is wrong with these people? That is confusion. And the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Amen? The Holy Spirit will not interrupt Himself. If the Holy Spirit has somebody teaching the Bible, somebody standing up in the back and starting to you know, yell Shamdul the Kai out real loud, that's not God. Amen? That's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. But you see that when people speak in tongues, the tongues are toward God. Prophecy is toward men. Tongues are toward God. And we speak tongues, we glorify God. Tongues without interpretation is noise. Because not, it's not from God. Without an interpretation, how can we say Amen. How do we know what's been spoken? How do we know? You know, it's, you know what it reminds me of? It's like these people. Have you ever seen these people that have these shirts that have like Chinese characters on them? And you think, do you have any idea what that says? It could say, I'm, I'm a dumb person. I, you know what I mean? I, it, yeah, you know, stupid, stupid guy. You know, I'm walking around with this shirt on. I mean, how would you know? Because you can't interpret it, right? You have no idea what that shirt says. And, I'm thinking, and I thought, you know, that's how tongues is if there's no interpretation. You're just walking around and People are shouting, you know, and it gets all emotional. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with emotion in the kingdom of God, but the key is that the Word of God is the foundation for our faith. And nothing will ever be contrary to the Word of God that is from God. And the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.9 says, So likewise, unless you utter by tongues words easy to understand, how will they know what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. And 1 Corinthians 14.23, which I quoted just a minute ago, If the whole church comes together in one place and all speak in tongues, and there are coming those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? The Bible says, Out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. How do you know what's in someone's heart? Listen to their speech. Someone says a word slipped out. Words don't slip out. Your heart pours out. Words don't slip out. And so if you've you know, if you got someone who's got a foul mouth... I'm on a sales call the other day. Most of you guys know I work full-time along with pastoring a church. I'm on a sales call the other day and I start talking to the guy and he finds out I'm a pastor. And before that, every other word was bad news, right? Guy's swearing up a storm. And, he go, and, I, you know, and I just start sharing with him about God and we start talking and then I told him I'm a pastor and, and all of a sudden he goes... It's on the Christian face, right? <laughs> oh, really? Well, praise the Lord, brother. Me too. I'm a Christian, you know? And I'm thinking, wait a minute. That's why the world sees the Christian church as hypocrites. Hypocrite means to put on a mask, to pretend to be something we're not. Out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. What are you talking about? What's coming out of your mouth? That's your heart. Nothing slips out. What comes out of the heart of Zacharias here? 
praising God. He went from unbelief to man, he can't stand it. You know, when he had left the, the Holy of Holies, and he had come out after burning incense, the crowd was gathered for him to share with them a benediction, a prayer of truth. And he was deaf and dumb and couldn't say anything. And nine months later, he's going to get up and speak what he should have spoke nine months earlier. He missed out on nine months of ministry. He missed out on nine months of being used by God because of unbelief. And that's the bad news. But the good news is that God is gracious and God can still use us as long as we're still breathing. Amen? If you're breathing in and out, God's not through with you. And no matter what you've gone through in your past, no matter what difficulties you've had in life, God can still use you in a mighty way, just like He uses Zacharias. And again, we see God's grace at work. Mary received the words of Gabriel with faithfulness and belief, and God had blessed her and used her mightily. Zacharias had responded to Gabriel's word with doubt and unbelief. He was struck deaf and dumb and was ineffective for ministry. But nine months later, he proclaimed the truth. God loosened his tongue and he spoke boldly. Now let me ask you this. If you've been left deaf and dumb this morning, you think about yourself and your own walk with God. You know, this is between you and the Lord. And, I, and I'm, I'm encouraging you. And I want this to come across as I'm, I'm preaching at you, but I'm talking with you because I'm talking to myself. What have you done for Him lately? What have you done for the kingdom of God this week? When was the last time you opened your mouth and shared your faith with somebody? When was the last time you saw that divine appointment that came into your life during the day and you weren't ashamed to tell people about the love of God? When was the last time you just loved somebody unconditionally because they needed it? As an example of, of God. When was the last time? You know what? That should be active every single day in the life of the believer. Amen? We should be so in love with Him, it should be pouring out of us. And what had happened is He'd been left deaf and dumb and totally useless to the kingdom of God until finally He responded in obedience. And know that you can change that even today by responding to God's call for each one of us to minister to others. Ministry is, we're all called to it. Amen? Not just the pastor or the worship leaders or the elders. It's all of us. And I prayed, God, bring the servants first. You guys showed up first, so you must be them, right? Amen? You know, the church is just getting started and you guys are here. And God is going to do an awesome work in Santa Cruz County and He's called each one of us to be faithful to the calling He's placed upon our life. Verse 65, Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. He was so on fire for God that it scared people. When they saw what happened, they went, Whoa! Elizabeth, they're on the same page and his tongue was loosened after being nine months of being deaf and he starts speaking wonderful praises of God and he knew that God had touched this guy. And you know what? When God has touched you and you're filled with the Spirit of living God, some people are going to be scared of you. Man, what is up with that guy? Well, just bro, okay, all right, relax. All right, God, yeah, okay. I mean, you know what? But that's all right. I'd rather be known for that, amen? You know, I had a guy once ask me if I was a Jesus freak and at first I took him... Well, yeah, I'm a Jesus freak, you know. Who better to be a freak for than Jesus Christ, amen? You know, you got guys with skulls on, their, on these shoulder pads and painting their face silver and black and putting stuff on their head. And I'm, oh, I'm a Raider fan. Well, man, I want to be a Jesus freak then, okay? Amen? And you know what? He was so touched by God that he began to praise God that it scared the people that were around him. And it, but I love what happens, though. They all ran out and the story went out through all of Judea. They said, man, did you hear what happened with Elizabeth and Zacharias? You know, he was dumb. Remember that? Deaf and he couldn't talk. Well, guess what, man? He spoke and they, they made his name God is gracious. They agreed together. It's nobody in their family's name. And when he said it, he started opening his mouth after nine months and just started praising God out loud. Man, should have been there. It was incredible. It's exactly what happened. Praise the Lord for, John and his, or for Zacharias and his faithfulness. 
And you know what? A divine work of God brings an initial response of fear and awe to those who witnesses, witness it. But it's how we react that matters. Mary, again, in faith and belief, had blessing, was useful for ministry. Zacharias initially responded with faithlessness. The crowd who witnessed it first responded with fear, and then second, the word spread throughout the entire land. Verse 66. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. You know what else it did? By them seeing this awesome work of God, they said something is special about this kid. There's something incredible about the child that they've had. You know, we, and, the, and the word and the, the truth about John the Baptist was being spread from the very moment he was born. People were going out saying, there's something different about this child. We need to keep our eye on him. And look what it says there in verse 66, the last part. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with him. Jesus said, Of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. Do you know why? Because of this, verse, this statement right here. Because the hand of the Lord was with him. Let me tell you something. As Christians, we do not walk alone. Amen? Now, sometimes you may feel that way. Sometimes you may feel overwhelmed. Sometimes you might feel like you're the only Christian in your neighborhood or in your office or wherever you may be. But remember that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you, and you are never alone when you serve God. God is for us who can be against us. Amen? There's no fear for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have nothing to be afraid of. The Creator of the universe is my best friend. Amen? You know, people talk about their homie got their back. Creator of the universe got my back. Amen? I mean, what do I have to worry about? Nothing. And so... The, the hand of the Lord was with him. And as with other mighty men of God who miraculous events surrounded their birth, people like Moses and Samson and Samuel, it wasn't their righteousness or strength, it was the hand of the Lord upon them. You know what, a lot of times I talked about Zacharias. He was most concerned about his physical frailties instead of looking at the power of God. And we react in faithlessness is because we look at ourselves and our physical frailties instead of looking at the power of God. Can God do anything? The answer is yes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 67. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Notice again that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what comes out of your mouth? Praise. And not only that, it's filled with quotes of Old Testament. Verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. First thing he says about God is what? That he is the Redeemer. He's pointing to Jesus Christ right now. And he says the first thing he says about Jesus Christ is he is the Redeemer. He is going to be the one who saves His people. He will visit and redeem. The word redeem means to buy back something, to purchase something. You know what? Because of the price of sin, we've been separated from God. And Jesus Christ, through His shed blood on the cross, purchased us back. And that's what He's talking about. He revisited us to redeem His people. In the Old Testament... God had visited and delivered His people through the prophets. He delivered them from Egypt and delivered them from bondage and from famines. But you know what? This is the most important deliverance ever is that He delivered us from sin. Amen? You know, it is finished. Tentalistai. The price has been paid in full. There's nothing else we need to do. Jesus Christ paid it all. Verse 69. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The word horn of salvation is an Old Testament term that points to the Messiah. Horn of salvation means a mighty, horn is power, a mighty Savior. He's pointing to the one that's coming. He's going to redeem His people. He's going to visit His people. He's going to redeem His people. And He's going to be a mighty Savior. In the house of His servant, 
David. Jesus Christ is a descendant of David. The Old Testament Scripture points to the fact that the Messiah would be descended from David. Not only is he a descendant from David, but he was born in the city of David, which is what? Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. And Jesus Christ is the bread of life, and he was born in the house of bread. Love the Bible, nothing happens by chance. Verse 70, As he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets who have been since the world began. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the words of every prophet that had been spoken from the beginning of time. And note the word here, he says, spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Not the mouths, the mouth. And the reason that's important is that every single word of prophecy originates with God. And it's only one mouth that speaks. Amen? It's not the mouths of men, it's the mouth of God. And when God speaks, it's one God who is speaking to all men. And they spoke as if Christ were, again, they spoke about Christ being the, the fulfillment of all prophecy. Verse 71, that, he would be, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Jesus has saved us from the hand of our enemies. Now, we, the, the enemy, uh, uh, first of all, was sin and death. And the other enemy is Satan. The Bible says that he has crushed the head of the serpent. Serpent going back to the Garden of Eden, remember? And his head's been crushed. Satan's done. He's a defeated foe. He's, you know, next time he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen? He's, going, he's weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. He's done. And we have, you know, and a lot of times we give Satan way too stinking much credit. Now again... There's no question that he has power. And there's no question the Bible says he's the prince and the power of the air. But again, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And too often it's the demon of this and the demon of that. and the this. Man, we need to stop that. Our God is faithful, our God is in control, and our God is greater than anything that the devil can hand out. Amen? And so often we walk around defeated lives. Oh, the devil's got his hand on me. Man, the devil can't do anything. You know, Flip Wilson said, devil made me do it. devil can't make you do anything. Amen? Can't. And it says here that He will deliver us from our enemy, from the corruption within, sin, and the temptation without, in the person of Satan. Verse 72. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to our Father. Jesus, our Redeemer, not only crushed the head of the serpent, but has reinstated us into a position of mercy before God. God's covenant with Abraham was, I will be your God, and you will be the seed through which I reach the entire world based upon the mercy of God, not the works of men. Genesis 22:18 says, In your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You know when he spoke that verse? You remember the story? Abraham takes his son Isaac up onto the mountain. And he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son you've been waiting for all these years. I want you to take him up on the mountain. I want you to take a, a knife and I want you to put him on the altar. I want you to bind him and I want you to put a, your knife through his chest. And I'll tell you what, you want to talk about faith. Because if I had to put my son to death for you guys to go to heaven, I think you'd be in trouble. Because again, I love you guys, but man. And those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, put me on the altar. Okay, I, I, maybe. But my son, no. And he said, I want you to take your son. And when he went up there and he raised the knife to put his son to death, the Lord stopped him and said, Abraham, I know now that you will hold nothing from me. And then he said to him, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And you know what? Through the line of Abraham came Jesus Christ. Amen? And that was a picture of Jesus Christ. Verse 74. We're almost done. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. 
Having been delivered from sin, death, and the hands of the enemy, He has made us available for service to Him without fear. Again, if God is for us, who can be against us? There is no fear for those who are in Christ Jesus. We should not be afraid to serve and honor God. You know what? I love... Maybe I'm nuts. Well, I know I am, probably in a lot of ways, right? People think I am. But you know what? I love when I'm in situations and they tell me I cannot... You're not allowed to talk about God here. Oh, that just gets me excited. That means God's going to do something. Amen? We're in Russia and they're bombing the White House and people are coming in and you can't go to the schools. I'm like, oh, we're going. God brought us halfway around the world for a reason. Let's go. It makes me just want to say charge. You know, when people told me, oh, Santa Cruz, Ichabod, the glory hath departed. Don't go to Santa Cruz, whatever you do. Oh, man, that's where we're going and that's where I want to be. It's the darkest place around. Let's bring that halogen light to Santa Cruz County. Amen? And you know, when they told us, you can't, you know, you're not allowed to talk about God in, in school. You're not allowed to talk about God at work. Dave, you've got to dial it down. Don't talk about the Lord. I'm like, you know what? God gave me this job. He'll give me another one. Amen? We're, you know what? We're not going to get to heaven and go, oh, man, I wish I'd done less for the kingdom of God. You know, that's not going to happen. Oh, I should have dialed it down. And we're going to be grieved that we didn't shout it from the mountaintops. Amen? And so he says here, you know what? Because of what I've done for you, you don't have to fear. You can serve me without fear because God is on our side. Verse 75, In holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. Through Jesus' redemptive work upon the cross, He delivered us from sin and we now walk in holiness. That means that you're Holy Doug, or Holy Randy, right? Holy Dave. Not because of the works I've done, but because of the work He did upon the cross for me. Amen? You're holy. You've been made holy by Him. Now He's going to speak of His Son real briefly. And your child will be called the prophet of the highest, and you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation of His people by the remission of their sins. He's saying about His Son you are going to go prepare the way for the Messiah. That's a fulfillment of Malachi 3.1, which says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. John the Baptist would go before Jesus and give to men knowledge of what they must do to be saved. This word would be fulfilled in Luke 3.3, which we'll get to in a few weeks. And it says, He went into all the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Baptism is an outward statement of an inward change. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Christ. It's letting the whole world know I want to be identified with Him. Christian means a follower of Jesus Christ and baptism is a true picture of Christianity. Verse 78 Through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Day spring from on high. Again, an Old Testament messianic reference that indicates that the Messiah's coming would be like the coming of dawn, light driving away darkness. Isaiah 9 verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You know what? You can't have light and darkness in the same place. Light and darkness cannot coexist. You flip on a light in a dark room and it becomes light, and darkness flees from it. And when Jesus came, He was the dawning of a new day, to a lost and dying and a dark world. Verse 80, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation in Israel. In Matthew 3, 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The worship team will come up. I'm going to share it in conclusion. In conclusion, what an incredible transformation in Zacharias. From faithless unbelief focused on his human frailties to the point of ignoring the omnipotence of God to an unashamed boldness before men, a heart so touched by God that it overflows with praise and prophetic truth filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He prefer, here's what some of the things he said about the Messiah. He said, He has visited and redeemed His people. He said that He is the horn of salvation, our mighty Savior. He said that He would come from this, that he, was, he was a fruition of the seed of David. That He was fulfillment of all the prophecies since the time the world began. That He will save us from our enemies. He has reinstated us to the mercy of God. He is the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. In Him we have nothing to fear. In Him we walk in holiness and righteousness. He is the day spring from on high. He is the light that drives away darkness. That's our God. Amen? And you know what? That's just a taste of who Jesus Christ would be. And lastly, he said that his son, who would be the greatest of all prophets, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, would boldly preach and repent the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now lastly, I want you to think about this as we enter into our last song of worship. What happened to Zacharias that took him from a place of unbelief and doubt to being a guy who boldly preached the truth who obviously God had revealed great things to him. How is he sharing this? How does he know all these things about God? How is he able to speak prophetic truth like this? How is he able to take Old Testament Scripture that he had known forever and now point it to Jesus Christ? What had happened to him during those nine months? I believe that during that time he heard clearly from God. He witnessed the hand of God at work in his wife as the baby was growing within her. He stopped focusing on his own physical frailties and instead focused on the omnipotence, the power of Almighty God. He was then filled with the Holy Spirit and after nine months of silence, the overflowing of his heart spoke and what came out was praise. You know what? Zacharias went from doubt to praise and it all happened when he sat still before God and he stopped worrying about his own frailties and he stopped being busy with the things of this world and he had to be still before Him and what did he do? He saw God at work. And God changed his life. And God can do the same thing in us today. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you're a living and a breathing and an active God. And just like in the life of Zacharias, Lord, that we can go from a place of doubt and unbelief to a place where we're filled with your Spirit and we're praising you boldly, unashamed. And Father, I pray for each one of us that you would do that work within us, Lord. Those who are walking with you, Lord, I pray you would increase our faith. Lord, that we would not, again, look at our human frailties, but the power of our God. Move us to a point, Father God, where we're used more heavily for your kingdom. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship and honor your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.